Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. One of my one of my biggest pet peeves is when people are late. The only ex- exempt is LeBron. So like you and I are punctual guys and. Like it's it's tough. The only, the only exempt is LeBron James. Yeah, the only exempt is LeBron James. It's fine. He gets a pass. Set this time, at least be in that window. What about AM thirty <laughs> four? I'd be pissed. I'd be like, "What are you doing, man? You couldn't go out last night." <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, if if, any he leaf- a, if he wins a couple chips, then he can be late. Any yeah. Welcome to season two, episode 12 of Not Another Leafs Pod on the Hockey Podcast Network at Ken Stapon, at B McCarthy 95, at Leafs Pod, B Mac, blue and white scrimmage last night got televised on TSN, sending other fan bases into a death spiral. What up, Kenny? You know what? I actually chose that. <laughs> what up, B Mac? I, I actually chose that scrimmage over NFL the NFL. Football. I was like, you know what? I'd, I'd actually rather watch this. And even though it was a scrimmage i'm choosing that over tom brady over the washington football team yes but i I think it was i think they might have covered the spread though i think the spread was eight and a half points and i think the washington football team lost by eight i can't confirm or deny that but if that is the case congrats to anybody that took the washington football team against the spread because big big cover (laughs) big cover for the washington football team I know we, we can't delve too much into it because it ultimately is a scrimmage. We can do whatever we want. I guess we can. Yeah, team, white, <laughs> team white versus team blue. I thought it was ultimately a high energy competitive scrimmage. And it was kind of fun how they did shootouts at the end of each period. And then an overtime to finish it off. I believe our boy Ilya Mikheyev, part of the overtime winner, even though it was 6-3 team white all over the place. The two things that stand out though, the shootouts like four or five of the Leafs top guns all whiffed. Yeah. And... I think uh, Lance Hornby had an article in the star this morning or in the Toronto sun, rather. I believe he said that they went so something to the tune of two to 14, two for 14, like as Ridiculous. a team in the shootout. Ridiculous. I think that is, is something where you have to master in scrimmage and it sure have a laugh. You whiffed on it, but that could easily happen in, in, in a game. And you, I believe Joe Bowen was saying in the broadcast, Jason Spezza 27 for 55 in his career in the shootout. And he just whiffed on it. I don't know why all, like all these, all these guys now in the NHL have to just do the big leg, slowly make your way to the net, try a deke. Like, I think more guys should just jet down center ice and just shoot it, man. Just come down straight down the slot and just rip a slap shot from that's what Miko Lutton <laughs> right did. above the hash marks. Yeah, just pull his Daniel Char and just unload with a high clapper. Go like top that. right. Why not? You got to see it more. No, I, I do tend to agree with you. And as far as 
the shootouts concerns. I think it's early on in the season. Obviously, it's a scrimmage, so not something that we should be overly concerned with yet. But when it comes down to these playoff races at the end of the year, oftentimes the margins end up being, you know, two points, one point, three points, and the difference in your seeding. And right. we saw what happened with the seeding for the Toronto Maple Leafs this year, where they end up with a tough matchup in the play-in round against the Columbus Blue Jackets. If you're able to stash a couple more points, you're a little bit higher, you get a more favorable matchup in the first round. If the Maple Leafs aren't able to figure out how to be more effective in the shootout, then it could certainly hinder their playoff position and get them a less desirable matchup heading into the first round. This is something that they've struggled with in the past too. I believe it was two or three years ago. They had one of the worst records in the league. I think it might've been actually last in the league. It's astonishing, man. You think they'd have the skill to, to rip one when they're in a, in a loan, not being contested at all. But the other thing too, I found is why aren't they just breaking up the Leafs into one A and one B and having the one B have an intense scrimmage because we know what to expect from Matthews, Nylander, Marner, and Tavares. Why, why aren't they just separating the, the, the B player guys and have them do a big scrimmage? So there, there's a lot of bubble players who may have looked good in the scrimmage. Like I, I liked what Nick Patan was bringing, Bear Bonoff, Joey Robertson. Anderson, Robertson. Robertson but again, nice blast from the point. Again, great to see. And I think it would have benefited the Leafs if they just did a, a separate scrimmage and just let the A guys, if you will, just chill and take the night off and maybe watch because Keith is expecting these guys to be roaring out of the gates as soon as puck drop hits on Jan 13. And I get scrimmage is a good simulation of what you're going to expect in a game. But at this point we want to, if you're coaching staff, you just want to see, okay, who do I like and who can I slide in for a bottom six role? Right. I don't think it makes sense for the A players to participate quite frankly. Well, well is it fair to say that the top nine, for the Leafs are solidified. Yeah. Like you're going to be Thornton, Matthews, Marner. You're looking at, well, VC, maybe he could get moved out and somebody else could slot in there, but it's likely going to be VC, Tavares, Nylander. Then the third line, once uh, Kerfoot comes back from injury, it's going to be Kerfoot, Hyman, Mikheyev. So really the only place where there is some room for players to come in and slot in is the fourth line. And certainly you expect Jason Spezza is probably going to be centering that. You expect Wayne Simmons to be one of the wingers. So really that only leaves one slot open for all the rest of the depth forward. So I certainly understand what you're saying, but I think essentially for the top 12 for this team, they basically have it penciled in at this point outside of maybe one or two spots at the bottom of the roster. Also with no preseason games or no exhibition games against other teams, all these organizations are scrambling, trying to figure out ways to get sort of a competitive match in, get a competitive game in. And if that's an inter-squad scrimmage, obviously you need X amount of players to play in a scrimmage, like what you need at least probably two pairs of D and three lines on each team for there to, so that everybody just isn't skating around completely gassed. So from that sense, you need to use the top guys. Obviously, you know that Matthews and Marner and Tavares, who all found the score sheet, in the game last night, by the way, so that was nice to see, are going to dominate in this sort of exhibition fashion, especially against lesser opposition. Like, I, th- I believe Mitch Marner went top cheese on Aaron Dell. Like, that's not, that's the third goalie in the depth chart. So say what you want about that, but I'm not overly impressed with Marner scoring on basically an AHL level goalie. Right. But these organizations are just trying to figure out any way to get a competitive edge before they have to dive right into games that actually matter. And for the Maple Leafs, it's against a heated rival. 
Like their first competitive matchup is going to be against Montreal. And it's been well-documented how difficult that team's going to play against after the roster adjustments that they made this season. Right. And it's also well-documented how efficient Montreal has been in season openers against the Leafs. I mean, each year, Kenny, it always seems like they keep it tight. It goes to overtime and they're just running around and grinding the Leafs into the ice. So it's going to be a fantastic original six matchup like it always is. But again, just to close out on that scrimmage point, everyone's talking like, oh, JT looks in midseason form. It's like, well, yeah, he's playing against like, <laughs> yeah, he's on the come ice on, it's his, like Barabanov or whoever. It's like, oh, like Nylander, two snipes. Like, come on, he looks great. He's going to have a career. It's like, it's a scrimmage. Like, we expect it from these Somebody guys. was asking Keith game about the chemistry between Lettinen and Nylander. Oh he's like gosh. oh yeah there's a pretty good chemistry between these two players right can we expect moving into the season Keith is just sitting there like uh, I think it's a little bit early to be talking about line chemistry between a defenseman and a winger but yeah, yeah they uh, he did have the feed on Nylander's one-timer which was a good shot like impressive shot and they also had on Nylander's second goal it was a deflection on a point shot from Lettinen so the two did combine Again. for a couple, and you like to see it. I think that Lettinen looks like or seems to be adjusting well to the smaller ice surface and the speed of the NHL game. So it remains to be seen how he plays on Wednesday, really, and moving exactly. forward. But it's like, okay, yeah, great, Lettinen, you look good, but how are you going to look when you're trying to go back and retrieve the puck and Brendan Gallagher's on your ass, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, just, it's, a, different, it's a different feel. So. And everybody piling on more days, man. as well. <laughs> like I've, from what I saw on Leafs Twitter, everybody's saying, what the hell is this guy doing? Like Wayne Simmons is not going to be effective in a game of shinny against his own team. That's <laughs> no not way. his style of play. Do you, do you understand how much trouble he would get in if he just absolutely went into the corner and just, just rocked body everybody? Mitch Marner. And then like Marner is out for, you know, a week or something because like Simmons just took him out in the corner. Obviously his style of play is not going to be effective until the regular season starts. And, well, I'll reserve my judgment for that player in particular until that time. No, that's fair. It got a little chippy at points. I remember Matthews and Engvall were going at it and pretty similar size. And I think the one guy that has the best chance to crack the roster or crack the bottom six is Pierre Engvall. And Sheldon Keefe has been high on this guy. He was singing his praises last night and he really wants him to, to succeed. And remember, Keefe goes way back with Engvall winning a Calder Cup with the Marlies in 2018 original draft pick from the Leafs. It's been groomed in the organization and now Keith is hoping he can get a shot in the top in the bottom six. So just to round out the stat sheets, which by the way, I still, I don't know, sillily is that a word? I was being silly so. this morning silly. and trying to find a box score anywhere and everywhere for the scrimmage. So I could get all the statistics. <laughs> I probably looked on Twitter for about 20 minutes and I was like, all right, this thing doesn't exist. Wishful thinking, but I figured, you know, the, the TSN broadcast of the scrimmage, maybe there's a box score out there, but so I don't really know who got all the primary assists offhand, but two goals for Nylander, uh, both assisted by Lettinen, uh, one goal for Matthews. It was the backdoor feed from Mitch Marner. Uh, Marner also had a breakaway goal on Aaron Dell. Tavares with the one goal uh, in tight on, on Freddie. Robertson had one with the blast from the point. Ilya Mikheyev on the OT breakaway scores and Jason Spezza had one with the rebound off the backboards. I might've missed one or two. I think, I think that was all of them though, as far as uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs feed was concerned as they were posting stories throughout the game. So we touched on the shootout concerns. Another thing that's been talked about a lot this week has been the staggering of the power play units. 
So Sheldon Keith and Manny Malhotra have obviously come together and decided that rather than rolling out one top unit that last year consisted of Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, and at times Morgan Riley, at times it was Tyson Berry. This year, it looks like they're going to try to stagger it a bit. So likely it will be Thornton, Matthews, Marner. And then on the point, Morgan Riley and whoever will slot in on the other side, it remains to be seen. Uh, probably maybe Wayne Simmons has been rumored as being the net front presence on that unit. And on the second unit, it will be likely Tavares with William Nylander, Jimmy Vesey. Um, you got to think that Lettinen will probably run the point for that one, likely. Um just based off his offensive pedigree and his experience doing that over in the KHL. And then the last spot again, remains to be open. You got to think maybe Jason Spezza would be a guy that might slot in there. There's a couple options that they could slot in on that second unit. Now, at least nation is pretty divided on this. I threw out a poll and 60% think that it's a good idea to split up the first unit and sort of stagger the depth a little bit and the top end scoring. And 40% think it's a bad idea and that they should keep the number one unit together that they had last year that was so effective at times, but then also was only running at a 15% efficiency during the Columbus series. What's your perspective on how the Maple Leafs should make adjustments or not adjust anything to their power play units coming into this season? I think it's important that they stagger the two PP units because, Kenny, it's the only season that they can and really the only luxury year they can. They won't be able to do this in the future. And they've loaded and compacted all the skillful guys and their top guns on on a power play unit before. We've seen it be super efficient. We've seen it collapse. And then what do you get? A, a decent subpar second unit that won't generate virtually anything. So they've been riding the four forwards and a defenseman for a while. It's been a common thread and you know something other NHL coaches have adopted as well. And they have the luxury of rolling out two consistent PP units that really, I don't think there's a team in the league that has that luxury, maybe Vegas or St. Louis. I think it's important that they stagger both units and not compact one unit together. I I tend to agree with you. And we saw, as I cited before in the Columbus series, how, the Maple Leafs tried to use that top heavy format and they tried to roll out the top unit and it wasn't necessarily effective. Also the first line and the second line for the Maple Leafs weren't necessarily that effective in that series either. And that's the risk that you run as an organization when you put all your eggs into one basket, as far as a salary cap perspective is concerned, because you don't have the depth up and down your lineup. So if your big guns aren't going, you can easily run into trouble. So when you look at staggering the units, a lot of people are upset because they don't think that they think it's a waste of Tavares's talent or it's a waste of Nylander's talent, not giving them an opportunity to play on the top unit. I look at it and I think that they, both units stand to benefit from having another unit that's equally as talented as the first unit. You say you get the first unit out there for a minute or whatever, a minute 20, they tire out the penalty killers. Then you're able to sort of get a change while in the zone cycling the puck all of a sudden the second unit gets out there and the penalty killers are gassed you have fresh legs and you can really take advantage also it sort of gives you a little bit of a different look to roll out there maybe you have different strategies for both units maybe you have a little bit of a different idea of how you want to play it so it gives other teams more to prepare for to understand which units on the ice and how they're going to attack also Manny Malhotra was brought in here as a power play specialist So I'm going to defer to him. If there's some changes that he thinks that he can make to this unit 
to make it more efficient than it was last year, which it was number two in the league behind Edmonton after Sheldon Keefe took over. I'm all for it. On the special teams note too, Kenny, uh, it's, it's been reported that Sheldon Keefe would like to employ Matthews on the penalty kill. And I think this will further augment Matthews game into more defensively responsible forward. And, you know, there's been talk, a uh, future Selkie candidate in Austin Matthews, very much in the reach for number 34. And I think Keefe is, is putting him in a position to achieve in other aspects on the ice. And I think Matthews can be secretly a good weapon on the PK. Matthews on the PK would certainly be a different look and I'll defer to Sheldon Keefe. We've long been expecting him to be dominant in both areas of the ice, offensively and defensively. And the best centers in the league can both be effective on the power play and on the penalty kill. Not to mention, if he's out there with Mitch Marner, it gives Joe Thornton a little bit of a rest on the bench during the penalty kill where he can sort of recoup those 43-year-old legs of his. And perhaps Matthews and Marner will be able to take advantage of the power play unit on the other side if they can you know, intercept a pass and go on the attack the other way and maybe translate that into some shorthanded goals, which are always a bonus for the coaching staff. I think the happiest player on the ice yesterday was Jumbo Joe. Looks like he's in his rookie year. He's he looks so happy. Blast. He's having a blast. All right, let's go to around the league. Around the league, big news this week for the New York Islanders as Lou Lamorello gets it done, signing Matt Barzell to a three-year deal. I believe the deal is uh, around a $7 million AAV. And the way the contract is structured, it basically goes, uh, I believe, $4 million in the first year, $6 million in the second year, and $10 million in the third year, which is important because that means in the third year, Barzell's qualifying offer would be just around $10 bucks for him to stay with the Islanders. What do you think of Barzell's deal? Such a stud. I mean, just the franchise piece of the New York Islanders led the team in points the last three seasons sure he was sniffing for a higher AAV, but they settled at seven mil. And according to Barzell, you know, it was a pretty efficient and swift negotiation window. I believe he becomes an RFA at the end of the deal, Kenny, after three uh, years. Yeah, well, he's, still, he's, he's still a restricted free agent. Correct. Right. Okay. So it would still be the Islanders that hold his negotiating rights, which is important. Um the 10 million, the way the structure or the contract is structured, though, and I did just check the tweet, it's 4 million the first year, 7 million the second year, and 10 million the third year is important because he will be eligible for arbitration at that point. So an independent adjudicator will be able to come in and help him determine his salary. And 10 millions in, in the third year will certainly help the player in that negotiation. Uh, we threw we threw a player uh, poll out on Twitter. Uh, what do you think of the Barzell contract? Is it organizationally friendly, player friendly, or both parties can be happy? 40% think it helps the organization. 20% think it helps the player. 40% think that both can be happy with the new deal. Um, Patrick Line versus Pierre-Luc Dubois. We were having this discussion last week briefly on the pod, so I just tossed it in as a as a throwaway at the end, but that got me thinking. So we also put out a poll on that. Which player would you rather have on your team? And I got to be honest, Brendan, this was a landslide one way. Which way do you think the, <laughs> which way do you think the poll went here? Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, because if you want to build your team around a piece, it's got to be a centerman. But quite frankly, I don't want either because neither want to play, with, <laughs> neither want to play, like neither want to play oh, with their so respective tough. franchises, man. So why, why like, 
good god just the, some of the like especially line a just so mopey at, at media availabilities the other day and like act like you care and act like you want to be there you're playing for you're playing for a professional nhl franchise well, center center versus winger out. I figured that this would be a little bit closer. It came in at basically 84% want PLD on their team, 16% want line A. So just a Makes fraction sense. of the vote from Winnipeg yeah. finding this poll and voting for Patrick Line. You know, he's a top end talent, a potential Rocket Richard candidate if he's in form, but I'm with you. He's looked um his just his body language, the way he's dealt with the media of late has been questionable. And that certainly for me is a red flag for Pierre-Luc Dubois. If I'm per, say, for example, Stan Bowman of the Chicago Blackhawks, I would love to have Pierre-Luc Dubois on my team because it's a bigger market, bigger stage. You know, the player is going to be happy to be there. Uh, Yarmo Kekalainen obviously having difficulties based off the fact that he's in Columbus and can't get the player to sign, which as we mentioned aforehand is likely because he wants a bigger stage rather than playing in a smaller market, such as, the the second biggest city is it the second biggest city in Ohio? I think Cleveland's bigger. I believe you're right, but I also believe you nailed the the market and team in which he should try and pursue, and that's Chicago because you look at it. Jonathan Taves, unfortunately, missing the season due to health concerns, being in a, a top six center role, I think he would thrive incredibly. Hey, <laughs> the, yeah, it, it, it would look good. It's one of the like I personally love the Blackhawks uniform. I know that. People um, are getting a little bit testy these days with uh, like the Indian logo. And like, obviously there's like a lot of like political correctness in sports as right. somebody who with indigenous heritage, it's like, I, th- I like the Blackhawks uniform, but I also understand if they did feel the need to change it down the road. Uh, we won't get too far into that though. Um, but speaking of a former Blackhawk, uh, Corey Crawford announcing his retirement this week from the NHL Crawford 260 wins in his career, including two cup victories, one in 2013 and one in 2015 Crows had a really tough go over the last little while dealing with a lot of vertigo. He's dealt, I think about 80 games, 80 something games he's missed over the last two seasons dealing with concussion issues. Um, He was in camp with New Jersey or supposed to be in camp with New Jersey this year, but he took a leave of absence from the team this week, and now he announces his retirement. What's your takeaway from Corey Crawford's very, very impressive career? I mean, such a glorified figure in the NHL. I mean, he really dominated the 2010s as a staple NHL goaltender. And I know he had the two cups where he was um, a huge contributor in 2013, 2015, but also part of the organization in 2010. He was a two-time William M. Jennings award recipient and which effectively means if you have to play 25 games minimum and have the best goals against average i mean such a rock solid tendy for the chicago blackhawks for a decade and hope he hopefully he enjoys a well-deserved rest so the edmonton oilers a lot has been made about their top end talent obviously with mcdavid and dry but the big gripe against the team has been their lack of depth scoring uh, they're hoping to address that this season with the return of Yessi Pugliarvi, who McDavid says is expected to be a huge part of the Oilers team, likely playing on the third line alongside Kyle Turris, who's also had a real rough go since he left Ottawa, uh, heading to Nashville. Uh, Pugliarvi was the fourth overall pick in the 2016 NHL draft. Um, he really never established himself in Edmonton with just 37 points in 139 games with the Oilers from 2016 to 2019 before being asked to be traded. Obviously that didn't happen. So he buzzed over back home to Finland where he played, had 53 points in 
56 games playing in the top league in Finland a year ago before returning to the Oilers this year. What do you expect out of Poole Yarvi adding to the Oilers depth scoring this season? It's an interesting conundrum because I'm sure Oilers management were hoping for the same effect as the center forward duo materialized in Toronto with Matthews and Marner, both taken a year after each other, same with McDavid and Pooley Arvey. And you'd think right away that Pooley Arvey would pair really well with McDavid, but he's had stints of, of good production and good success in Edmonton. But my goodness, Kenny, he's going to be scratching at this point for a, a bottom six role. And hopefully he can, and hopefully he can provide a, a good depth uh, role, but Clock's ticking again. Another top 10 pick. He went fourth overall in 2016. Uh, looking at that 2016 draft, man, like there, there's quite a few. I hate to use the word, but I guess we'll say potential busts. I but, think Pooley at this point, you could consider him a bust. I think so. Just if he was taken in 2016 and he's just had 37 points in the NHL in basically what should have been four NHL seasons, that's a, a ripe old average of less than 10 points a season which is not good no. for a guy that got taken fourth overall. I'm not sure what to expect out of Pugliarvi this season. I think expecting less is probably the safer bet for Oilers fans. And I'm not sure what to expect out of his line mate, the Kyle Turris. He hasn't showed anything since he got that big contract extension in Nashville, which he got bought out of by David Poyle. And then he gets shipped out to Edmonton on a lower, lower deal. I really liked the way this player played in Ottawa prior to getting shipped to Nashville, but he just hasn't been able to figure it out since. So you got a couple of guys on that third line who are looking for their own redemption tour heading into this season. Henrik Lundqvist recovering after heart surgery. And obviously he's not going to play this year, but good news from the King as it's been day five, I believe since his surgery and he announced that his recovery is going well. So some good news coming from the King after what's been a really difficult time for him and his family. Yes, and, and continued prayers and thoughts go out to Hank and his family. And another glorified goaltender in the 2010s, unfortunately, never got to... I mean, while in 2014, I guess they went to the cup final against the Kings and lost, but so close to a cup for, for Lundqvist. Has about everything else on his shelf in terms of awards, but such a loss for the league. But again, continued prayers go out to King Henrik. You said 2014, right? I believe that was the year that I was living in Ocean City, Maryland for the summer. And we got down there just wow. in time for the Stanley Cup final. Me and my buddy, Kurt Warshinsky, we were living at his house in West Ocean City. And we built a Stanley Cup out of Natty Light Cans, preparing for a New York Rangers victory, which obviously did not end up happening. But it was great to see a, yeah. a Northeast team playing that late into the season. He was a diehard Rangers fan and I was pulling for them as well against the Western Conference foe. Yeah, the, the Kings were just so lethal that year. I mean, they obviously were high on the cup from 2012, and I think they took it in five, but the Rangers were able to squeak one out. And then Alec Martinez, I remember I remember watching that. That was, uh, that was insane. Overtime winner to win the cup. Like, when is that happen? Those California teams used to just eat you alive if you got eat. within five feet of the boards. They yeah. just chew you up and spit you out and come out with the puck. Dustin Brown, Jeff Carter, Anze Kopitar, Drew Doughty was uh, a little bit more limber than he is these days. Their fourth line would just dummy top tier units. It was insane. Top to bottom, they were just relentless. I want to zip through some COVID updates because this is going to be a running story. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on it because everybody just 
is inundated with this everywhere you go. It's all anybody wants to talk about, but here's how it's affecting the league. So the Stars and Panthers openers, as in their first two games, have been postponed due to COVID because six players on the Stars and two staff members of the Dallas Stars organization have tested positive for COVID. The Columbus Blue Jackets had 19 players who did not practice due to precautions this week, but 18 of those players returned to practice Saturday. So that's good news for that organization. And the Pittsburgh Penguins canceling their scrimmage on Saturday due to potential COVID concern. So this is the first real taste for the NHL of what's going to be a running story for the league this year. And as we've stated before, it's not necessarily if it's going to happen, but when it happens to these organizations, how they're able to contain it and how they're able to move, hopefully past this fairly quickly. So as not to totally disrupt the season. Right. And, you know, if you want a good template, I think the league can look to the NFL because how many times this year, where Thursday nighter Thursday nighter games were postponed five six times, the league the NHL made sure that if these sorts of situations do come about and they are games are going to be postponed, they've left themselves enough leeway and a good window to make up for that missed play. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see because the the season is already so compressed where they're able to squeeze in games later if they do have to make them up. The good news is is that because these teams are all playing each other, there's probably potential that you could squeeze in back-to-backs a little bit later down the road. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I have faith in the NHL's NHL organizations Jerry. to get – Yeah, I have faith in Jerry to uh, get these protocols in place and hopefully act quickly and efficiency if and when – these COVID concerns happen. Let's move to the tweet of the day. All right, BMAC, you want to go first or you want me to go first? I'll go first because I got a good laugh out of this. TSN, <laughs> TSN Leaf beat reporter Kristen Shilton tweeting, Hall and freaking out still. There's so much music in the world. Why is this happening? And then Brendan Shanahan replying with a wink and a gif that says deal with it. It was a Jack Nicholson gif. Not sure the movie, but I agree. I think they need to mix up their I believe it's song. The Departed. I yes. haven't seen a, I haven't seen right. the actual picture that you're referring to, but you're probably right. Probably staying in the back of the car, right? Why don't they bring back like their early 2000s, just like staple Maple Leaf Goldhorn? You know the one. Which one? Kerncraft 400. Yes, is that what it's called. Isn't that the Boston <laughs> Bruins Goldhorn? It. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like it's a different. If it's a different tone. Zombie Nation. Zombie Nation. I think they should bring that back or just mix it up. Like I like Hollow Notes, but my God, it's just it's a little. It's a little much. You go a little stir crazy when you hear it that much. I'm sure the players want to mix it up too. Sometimes when I get need to get hyped on my way to work, I'll throw on the Zombie Nation. Oh, Zombie Nation. Yeah. Great. Crowd, crowd remix on YouTube. It's not any of the streaming services. I have to stream the video on YouTube, which is always a bummer. Because if you ever close the screen of your phone, the music stops and then you get, you know, just <laughs> super bummed out. But yeah, an all time great goal tune. Uh, my tweet is actually from. Let's see, uh, 2021 angry at uh, he, you, ha, ha. <laughs> but it says Tony D'Angelo now has more Twitter deactivations than he has playoff points. So Tony D, obviously this week, uh, Maple Leafs Twitter loves to pile on this guy because of his conservative uh, political views and just his overall demeanor on Twitter. I think uh, he sort of incites people to... Uh, try to cancel him oftentimes and with uh, the fearless leader in the south getting his twitter deactivated this week that spurred tony d to deactivate his twitter which is one twitter deactivation 
opposed as opposed to zero playoff points for Tony D'Angelo. So hopefully with the Rangers moving into the postseason this year, he'll uh, look to improve upon what's been a lackluster playoff career to this point in his uh, in his NHL playing days. I'm just looking at this Twitter handle, 2021 Angie. They didn't even spell angry right. Angie. And then, <laughs> I didn't even catch that. 2021 Angie. And then at, at you, you, ha. you ha. Great you stuff he, from you ha. Ha. My God, yeah, that's a, hilarious. That just made funny. my day. That just made my day. Yeah, the, wow. the feed it's the feed itself can make the day. Uh, this this segment's gonna be around stink because I feel <laughs> I feel like it's unlimited fodder heading into the NHL season when you get the especially when you get the angry Leaf fans just on like the burner with oh, twelve numbers after the name, just absolutely teeing off on Kyle Dubis. Yeah. Oh man. But you got your NHL fantasy draft coming up a little bit later, so we're going to have to get out of here shortly. Uh, yes. any, who are you targeting? I believe you have the first overall pick, so congratulations there. I'm pretty stoked. It's it's going to be uh, a certain player in oil country. Tyson Berry? I was thinking Pooley Arby, but let's see. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, think I, I think it's a safe pick. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of Leafs Pod. Follow us on Twitter at Leafs Pod at Ken Safe on at McCarthy 95 We'll catch you next time.